Good morning. Welcome to church today. Great that you could be here. I've um, got a bit of an outline here, so I'm just going to hand that out. My printer packed it in while it was printing, so if you might like to share them as you go, um, we might not have enough, but that's okay. Some of you are technology savvy, so you could take a picture with your phone, (laughs) and then you'll have a permanent record, won't you? All right. Um, just give you a little update because I spoke to him this morning. Pastor Neil is actually back, um, but still not well. Um, so uh, we're going to, I'd encourage you to continue to pray for him. Um, I, I'd just like to share a testimony with you before I come to the word this morning. Um, I've, I'm feeling pretty emotional at the moment, so I might cry this morning. I'm just telling you in advance, all right? He's not a sook, okay? But I, I actually finished work. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Oh, God's provision comes in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? I'm just going to shift this over here. Um, I I actually finished work on Friday after 12 years at that place. Um, You know, one of the things that Neil has constantly encouraged us in is to recognise the fact that God uses our life to speak to people's hearts, that we are salt and light no matter where we are. And so I I stood... um, (laughs) I stood in awe, really, at God because at my farewell speech, the chief executive of my agency got up and he said, there are two things I know about Stephen West. He loves his family and his faith is important to him. And I've never talked to him about anything about the Lord. And so I honour God for that. And then um, one of the things that I really had on my heart was I, I actually wanted to pray a prayer of blessing for them. And you think, how do you put that into a farewell speech? You know, just how do you do that so you don't get people offside? So I, I said to them that, I said, I, I thought what I wanted to be able to do, I said this to them, sorry, I'm getting all confused here. I said, I thought that I might be able to say some, you know, wise words for you. Or that I could tell you a funny story. But out of my Christian faith, the most important thing that I could do is pray a prayer of blessing for you. And so I know that you may have a different worldview, but I trust you can accept this from my heart to you. And so I prayed a prayer. Marilyn was there. And I, and I prayed a simple prayer of blessing and that God would touch their hearts and their lives that most of all they would know Jesus and his love that is higher and deeper and wider and longer than any of us would ever know. In Jesus' name, amen. And many of them closed their eyes and bowed their head. On the following day... One of the guys that I've only worked with for two weeks, I went into his office to say goodbye and I shook his hand and he stood up and he said, Stephen, he said, I just want to let you know that I'm an atheist, don't hold that against me, but your prayer touched my heart like nothing ever before. And then he started to well up in tears and he shoved his hand out and he shook my hand like he just about ripped my arm off and he said, you better leave before I ball." And I just, I'm just amazed at what you know, God does as we trust in him and do simple things. I mean, it was a big step, really. I mean, who goes to a farewell and expects to get prayed for? I mean, you know, but, but God honours our faith in that. So I share that with you to encourage you to take every opportunity that you can. And, you know, I, I suppose I, I walked into the office and I thought, Lord, was I supposed to say something? Was I meant to lead him to Christ? You know, get on your knees and pray this in his prayer. What was supposed to happen? But for me, the most important thing was that God touched his heart. And God is the one that's going to watch over that. I don't have to. God is. And so I'm going to ask you as a church, 
because next week is our last week with you, um, but he's, his name's Peter. So I just want to ask you, pray for Peter. All right? And there were several others that made comments about that as well, but particularly for Peter. All right? Let's just pray as we come around the word now. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that, God, you are in the house. And we, we recognise that and we honour you for that because without you, Lord, this is just a group of people getting together. But with you, in our hearts, in our lives, and your presence here, we, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. You've given us your message to better speak to people's hearts and lives. And you've touched our hearts and our lives and changed them because of that. And we give you all the praise and all the glory that's due to your name. Thank you for your word this morning. Let our hearts be open to you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your anointing on each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name. And we all said? Amen. Amen. All right. So we've got a PowerPoint. Uh, Thank you. And uh, what I want to do this morning, I'm I'm preaching next week as well, and I'm doing two parts to this. One is, um, what does it take to be a man and woman of God? And the next week I want to talk about what does it take to be the people of God? And I believe that God has a word for the church in that. But this morning, I want to focus on us as individuals. Um, and I want to begin by saying, uh, thanks. Do we have to be perfect? That's a very good response. It's right down here. It was, I hope not. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what God says. Do we have to be perfect? What does it take to be a man or woman of God? Well, in Acts 13, it says this. God, through Paul, said this about David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything. Oh, that's good. Right. Oh, you can look at me instead of up there. Okay. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, that's an amazing statement. Because for those of you that have read the life of David through 1 Samuel through to 1 Kings, you kind of go, hang on a minute, sorry God, how does that fit? How is it that he is the one that would do everything I want him to do? And yet we all know David's failings. So the question there comes, how could David be considered a man after God's own heart? To understand that, I believe that we need to see what are the characteristics that he had to qualify him to receive such a description from God. And we, we love that description. I, I really do. I, I read that about David and, and I want to have that testimony in my own life, that I was a man after the heart of God. And I'm sure you are the same, but as was said here, I hope we don't have to be perfect because I'm never going to make it. Yet at the same time, we we want that and we also want to have the same said of God by us about, well done, good and faithful servant, don't we? We want to honour God. I I want to hear God say that to me when I stand before him. David's own life was a portrait of success and of failure, like big time. His family was filled with dysfunction. I mean, his eldest son rose up in a bloody queue against him. Um, slept with his wives on a public, in a public place. His sister, one of David's daughters, was raped by her half-brother and David did nothing about it. So 
And, and if you read the story, look at it. It's just filled with all of these successes and failures. But it, and it highlights the fact that he was far from perfect. So there's hope for us. <laughs> so what does it take to be a man or woman of God after God's own heart? So what I want to do quickly this morning is look at three characteristics around David's life and part of his story and journey. Firstly is that he had, he had faith in God. How are we going? Oh, we're back. That's good. He had faith in God. David had a simple faith in God his whole life, and everything in his life came out of that. David was fully aware that God was in control of his life, and he had faith that um, God was watching over him and would deliver him as he was faithful to God. Even when God had told him the things he did, all he could do to ensure was to respond to God. So he was always seeking to obedience to God, and even when he got it wrong, he still sought that same place to honour his relationship with God and his faith in God. In 1 Samuel, and of course this is the story we all know, it's David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, the Lord who rescues me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David and Goliath is where David expressed this faith. And we all know this story. What he, what he knows to be a fact already in his life. And the thing I love about this statement that David makes is it's really practical. Like, faith is not, you know, I'm off for the fairies, you know, all the angels. Faith is on the ground. God had rescued him from the, law, the lion and the bear. How many of us need to be rescued in real life, you know? Like in where it counts, where the rubber's on the road. This is that statement. This is that faith. This is that expression that David brings out of his life. So David and Goliath is where David expresses what he knew already. Very practical about his faith. And then in 1 Samuel, uh, and I just encourage you just to pick up from 1 Samuel 16 and just read through. Even if you skim through, there's lots of outstanding stories in here about David's life. 1 Samuel 17. Um, no, sorry, 1 Samuel 18, 7. Uh, it says, And Saul killed his thousands, and David killed his ten thousands. And it was actually the women, as when the army came back into town, they, they marched and then they brought all the captives with them. And the people stood on the streets and cheered and waved. And the women of the community sang this song. And I'm not going to try to sing it for us. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And it says, David continued to succeed in everything he did because the Lord was with him. Is that something that's unique to David? No. Is that something that God would only do for David? No. This again is David. This is David in war. This is David doing the things that, as he was at work, God was in everything that he did. And that's part of you know, what I was wanting to testify to you this morning. God was with me at my work. And God is with you at your work. No matter where you are. God is with you at home. No matter what you're doing. Looking after the children. I mean... Some of you might notice that uh, my, my son and, and my two grandsons, my new grandson, Luke Stephen, yeah, what a name, um, is here this morning. But, you know, Grandma's fighting to go and change a pooey nappy. I'm going, what? What's that about? You know, like, in the middle of changing a pooey nappy, God is there. Really? Some of you are looking at me like, what? <laughs> he is. God is in absolutely everything. Like, where can you go to get away from the presence of God? So he's there. And you can honour God. And one of the first things I did when I heard my grandson was I began to pray in the Spirit over him. First thing I did, speak into his life, Spirit of Christ. 
Because that's what God wants us to do. Always be aware of his presence. Always seeking to honour him. To thank him for that precious gift. And the life that he will have in Jesus Christ. That's my statement of faith. God causes David to have military success in battle. And Saul, the king of Israel, is consumed with jealousy. And if you read the story... You know, Saul was anointed king because of his, his good looks. That's what it says in the Bible. And Saul lost the plot. And so Samuel the prophet goes and gets all the sons of Jesse and lines them all up and goes through all of them saying, God, which one? And David's out in the paddock, the back paddock with the sheep. I should say cattle, shouldn't I? I'm in the territory. He's out in the back paddock with the cattle. You know, and Saul says to Jesse, is there any more? And he says, yeah, there's another one, David. Go get him, fellas. So they bring him back. And he anoints him as king of Israel. This is before David and Goliath. And, and everyone knows. So Saul realizes that what's happened is that the anointing has gone from him to David and he lost the plot. And he's consumed by jealousy, literally. He tries to pin him to the wall two times with a spear and then spends the next decade chasing David across the desert country, trying to kill him before he can get to the throne. And so David, sorry, Saul is consumed with his jealousy and chases David all over the countryside to try to kill him. But David has been anointed and God intervenes time and 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 time again. Read the story. And God uses the nation of Israel and God uses the enemies of the nation of Israel to save David's life. Don't think that God is only going to use Christians in your life. God can speak to you through other people and other sets of circumstances. God can use whatever circumstance he would choose to cause you to be in the place that he would want you to be. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you can go off and do stuff, all right, outside of the will of God. You're meant to be in the place of walking with God in the will of God and seeking his face and honouring him. But God can choose to use those things in your life. So don't limit what it is that God might choose to do. In 1 Samuel 26... Um, there's this Saul. Saul is asleep. He's out chasing David. He's asleep. Imagine this scene. On the side of a hill, Saul is asleep and 3,000 of his elite warriors are sleeping around him as a mass, as a guard. And for some reason, I don't know why, it doesn't say why, but for some reason, David decides he's going to go and visit Saul. You think, what? Why would you want to do that? But the story says that Saul, sorry, David and one of his warriors, because he had 600 elite, and one of his men, he asked for a volunteer. Only one guy volunteered. I wonder why. Only one guy volunteered. And so they snuck into the camp and were standing there over Saul. Saul's spear is in the ground with his water bottle next to it. Sorry, it's not a Franklin bottle. It's all right, Andrew. <laughs> it's all right. No, it's not a Coke bottle, okay. It's all right. My son Andrew runs a company that does water and competes with Coca-Cola. Um, so, so there he is. So, and this is David. And the, the elite warrior says, I will take the spear and I will thrust it through him and pin him to the ground and I'll only need to strike once. And that'll be it. It'll all be over. And this is David's response. No, 
don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take the spear and the jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. I'm sure that was a quick exit, you know. David spares Saul's life and honours God's call on his own life by faith, by not taking into his own hands that situation and trying to force or bring about the will of God. He chooses to let God be God in his life as well as in Saul's, and he doesn't kill him. It's not, I did it my way, but it's by faith of doing it God's way. And at the end of his encounter with Saul, David makes this statement of faith in 1 Samuel 26. The Lord gives his reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you under my power. For you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all of my trouble. David, David's faith was in God and for every part of his life. And that same faith said God was in control of everything. And out of that, he, would step, he was able to step boldly into a whole series of situations and circumstances, battles, fatal situations with calm and confidence, knowing that God was with him. David knew early in his life that God was to be trusted and obeyed always. David's faith pleased God and he is rewarded for it by God. God highly values our faith. Despite life's up and downs, and we all have those, God is ever-present and always at work. And for us, in Romans 8, it says, and we know, let's just read this together, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good. <laughs> let's try it again, eh? <laughs> okay. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Let me ask you this question. Are you called of God this morning? You don't need to answer. Are you called of God this morning? In your heart of hearts, you will know because the Holy Spirit will testify to you, yes, I am. Therefore, that verse there applies to you in its entirety and in the entirety of your life. There is no part of your life that God is not present in. And your faith in God, your faith in God, honours that. And God honours your faith. And he wants to do that. So let's have faith like David did. Secondly, he loved God's law. David absolutely loved God's law. Of the 150 Psalms in the Bible, David had written over half of them. Writing at various times and often in troubling times in his life, David repeatedly mentions how much he, he loves God's perfect word. And there are so many examples. And so I've just picked a couple. But, you know, just, you just got to look at the Psalms. And you read the Psalms and it's from David. And it's in a time of distress. It's in a time of joy. It's in a time of conflict. It's at a time of victory. It's in a time of peace. It's a time of love. It's a time of joy. You just read them and they are just filled with every facet of life. And God has given them to us that we might read them and know 
that same sense of God in those times when we were in that place in our life. One of the ones that I love is this one, Psalm 19, 7 to 11. And, and it's up here, um, and I haven't put it in there because it's, it's too long for the paper. So it says this, and it's up there. It's three pages, all right? So I'll read, and you can just follow. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, and each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. David expresses so clearly that God's word revives us, makes us wise, brings joy to our heart, gives us insight, warns us, and rewards us. God's word is the guideline and the light to our path. It points to danger where it warns us and then points the way to guide us into God's truth and God's great reward. Again, in Psalm 119, the longest one. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands. It's an act of worship, which I love and I meditate on your decrees. David loves and meditates on the word of God. And this one, this is one we all know, Psalm 119, 105. Your lamp is a light unto my path. Sorry, your word is a light unto my path and a lamp. Get it right. <laughs> Maybe you should read it. I might not get it right. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And for me, this has always held two, two aspects to this. One is God's word provides a lamp to my feet, which is the immediate. This is the up close. This is the personal. This is about me and my heart and my life and where I stand right now. I need a lamp so I can see where I am, so I can reflect from the word of God into my heart and into my life. And the second part of that is I need a light unto my path so that I can see where I'm going. I can see what it is where God is leading me, what it is that God's speaking to my heart, not just for this moment, but for the future, whatever that might look like. God's word is that lamp. God's word is that light for our feet and for our path. One of the things that happens in my house is that my wife has an extremely sweet tooth. Can we just go to the next one? Thanks. Oh, she says, oh, no. Oh, there it is. So, what's that? Cookbook. Is it well used? What do you reckon? Oh, come on, let's put it to a vote. Is it well used? Oh, yeah, look at that. Overwhelming. All right. Let's go to the next one. Oh, what about that page? <laughs> what do you reckon about that page? And for all you ladies that are wondering, the bottom right-hand corner is that chocolate cake that Marilyn brings to church that you all love. And, it, and in the bottom right-hand corner of this page on the left is the icing for it. Oh. <laughs> That's right. You, you can download the PowerPoint afterwards, all right, to get the recipe. I want to ask you a question reflecting on that. Oh, sorry. No, no, don't, 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 don't go to the next one. Right, thank you. I want to ask you a question about that. See, that cookbook cover and pages tells you a certain thing about the book and the recipes that are in it. 
and a certain page in particular. They are the all-time favourites. Marilyn, I bought her a Kitchen Whiz in 1980, and that's the cookbook that came with it. 1980. That's how young we are. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm still showing the, the benefits from it, aren't I? Um, but that, it's been used time and time and time and time and time, four boys and time and time and time. 2015, it's still being used. And what you see on the cover and what you see in that page that's got flour and all sorts smeared all over it is that that has been visited and life has happened in that page. Our life has happened in that page. In the good times of celebration, of birthdays and Christmas and grandchildren being born and all sorts of things. And in the tough times when we've needed to have a sweet fix to get us through the day. Marilyn's a messy cook. No. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, she said that about me because I get in the kitchen too. What's the end result? What's the end result of those recipes? Would you like to see? I'll show you. Oh, mate. <laughs> There's that chocolate cake up the back. Wow. And the one on the left is the carrot cake. Oh, I love that carrot cake. Whoa, I make that one. And that's just awesome. I want to ask you, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, I'm just going to show you. This is, this is my study Bible. I'm not showing you this to show off. I'm showing you this because this, this Bible I've had for 10 years. My wife and family gave it to me when we came here to the Territory to begin pastoring a church. And, and my life has come out of this book, as you can see. And, and I don't... I'm not like Marilyn. <laughs> my, my pages are clean. The reason they're clean is because I have a notebook that I use with that. And I write and I make all my notes and all my reflections and the things that God says to me. And I keep that because there's not enough room in here on that page for me to write the things that God has spoken to me in my life. I want to ask you a question. What does your Bible look like? And I'm not saying that to you to put you under guilt or condemnation because that's what the enemy wants to do. I'm saying it to you because the life of Christ comes out of this word. The life of Christ the chocolate cake and the carrot cake and the icing, the things that matter in life come out of this word. They're important, are they? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? Um, I have this expression and my son knows it well. If you're not in the word, then the word's not in you. All right? If you're not in the word, then the word is not in you. And that end result can be in your life, in Christ. In Christ. Okay? What does God say to us? He says this, 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. It says, For all, the prom- all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. That's for us. That's for us. The yes and amen is for us to say about the promises of God. 2 Peter 1 and 5. Make every effort to respond to God's promise. This is God encouraging us to respond to the word of God. 
Don't come out of guilt. Don't come out of guilt because you will give the enemy a playground. Come out of faith. Doesn't matter what's happening in life. Doesn't matter where you're at. Does not matter. Come and say, God, I come to your words. Speak to my heart. Speak to my life. All right. The third thing, and just quickly, is to know God's forgiveness. He knew God's forgiveness. You know, you read the story, and of course we have, you know, first adultery. I mean, the bloke's got six wives already. You kind of think, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Anyway, so, so he commits adultery. And then that leads to the murder of an innocent and honourable man, which ultimately leads to the death of the child that's born out of that adultery union. And the judgment of God comes on David and God delivers a really strong warning to David, a strong message. How does David respond? David said to Nathan, sorry, um, I was getting ahead of myself, my apologies. Um, in 2 Samuel, this 2 Samuel 11 and 12, that story is, David's sin is laid out kind of like, you remember there was that TV series? Not that I watched it, but I just thought of it, you know, Sin City. That's what it was kind of like, in full detail. How on, earth could, could, how on earth could we say that David was living in faith with God? How could we say that he loved God? How could we say he loved his word when this is what happened? How could God say that David is a man after his own heart? I, I want to say this to you. We can get stuck with our focus on sin. We talk in the church a lot about sin. We do. And we need to. We need to nail sin to the wall, which is exactly why the prophet Nathan came and spoke to David and said, this is it, mate. We don't have a prophet Nathan, we have the Holy Spirit. Right? And he will nail us about our sin. But I think where we get ourselves tied up in knots is that our focus then becomes on the sin, not about in getting it right with God. So we can find ourselves then, if we're focused on the sin, that our conscience is roaring at us and we can respond and be overwhelmed by the sense of my sin. I am so sinful. Guilt and condemnation comes in. It, it kind of looks like, to me, it kind of looks like this, that our conscience is like sand and we're building sand castles of guilt and condemnation. And so we build it and then we rub it out and think, oh, it's okay. And then we build it again and then we rub it out. And then we build it again and then we rub it out. And there's this cycle that we get into of guilt and condemnation, guilt and condemnation. And we're trying to deal with it by, we build the sandcastle again because we feel so guilty. Oh, if only, if only, if only. And then we, we rub it out. And we think, oh, it's gone for a little while. And then it comes back again. And we keep in the cycle. We get there and we get there. And of course, the enemy loves, the enemy of our soul, Satan, who's a liar, and that's the only language that he knows, loves to come, the accuser of the brethren, he's called in the King James. And he comes to accuse us. And because we're in this place building and trying to rub it out all the time, in our own strength, we give him permission. We give him ground to be able to speak into our life his seeds of distrust, his seeds that would try to take away our faith and our love from God. You're a terrible sinner. God will never forgive you. How could you call yourself a Christian? How could you even lift your head before God? How could you go into his presence? And then he wants to start building sandcastles in our sandpit as well and lots of other things as well and so this stronghold can get into our life and it's based on lies 
And it happens over and over and over and over because he never wants to give up in trying to drive us into the ground. To drive us away from the one and only who has the answer for us. The very one who can set us free. God sent Nathan the prophet to David with a terrible story about a rich man and a poor man and an innocent lamb that was slaughtered, owned by the poor man, and the rich man took that lamb and slaughtered it and used it for a party. And David rose up in righteous anger and said, tell me the name of the man and I will deal with him. And Nathan said, you're that man because you killed an innocent man. And David's heart was pierced pierced by God. And he says this in 2 Samuel 12. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And as a result of that, David wrote Psalm 51. Um, And I'm just conscious of our time, but I ask for your indulgence. I want to read this. I I want to ask you to hear the heart of repentance but it may be applicable to you this morning in your life. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. There's that conscience against you, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sin. So up to that point, he agrees completely with God. Yes, you are right. Then he says, Purify me from my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create, don't we love this? Create in me a clean heart, oh God. How many of us have prayed that prayer? Out of that psalm, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew, and in the King James, a right spirit, a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, as Matt prayed this morning, the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your way to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing. Of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you, that you do, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. That's a prayer that comes out of faith and love and trust in God. That's a prayer that declares, God, you are exactly right in speaking out your judgment against me as a holy God because I am a sinner. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I can confess my sin. 1 John 1, 9. And you are faithful and just and will cleanse me and of all unrighteousness. And he does that. He does that. As David expressed that amazing insight, that relationship with God that he had, that love for God and knowing the heart of God, he could confidently pray that prayer. Not out of, you know, look at me, but out of knowing the heart of God and being known by God. Hebrews 10 says this, 
Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. What's his promise? That if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us. Deal done. It's done. 1 John 2, it says, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I want to go back quickly now to finish. If the sand is on the beach and not in a sand pit, go back to the story, and you're building sand castles, then, and you've all had this experience, let the wave of God's forgiveness run up that beach and run over your sand castles and obliterate it. And if it happens again, there's another wave. And if it happens again, there's another wave. That's the way God deals with us. As we trust in him, as we put our faith in him, as we love his word, then he will come and he will wipe out those sandcastles. He will deal with the enemy like that in but a moment. You just need to confess and let the wave of his forgiveness run over your life and bring that forgiveness to your heart, to your mind, to your spirit, to your soul, and your conscience will go quiet because God's forgiveness has come. Forgiveness comes out of knowing God in his heart, knowing that he is a holy God and that when we sin, and we will, that God forgives us. And he has put that in place. That our conscience has been washed clean through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. That we might be free indeed, and it sets us free to love God more and more and more because we know the reality of his presence and his ministry into our life. Can I ask the musicians to come, please? So in conclusion, David's life as a man after own, of God's own heart, and the same applies to us, is to have faith in God. He lived by faith on a daily basis and looked for God in everything that he did in his life. He loved God. David followed God. Sorry, he loved God's law. He followed God's law as best he could in everything. He meditated on it day and night, seeking and asking God to help him to apply it to his life. He knew God's forgiveness. David was truly repentant. Repentant. Let us not forget that he was a man just like you and I, and a woman just like you and I, who has sinned and he confessed his sin and he knew God's forgiveness and acceptance totally by faith and then moved on in God.